Were you as disappointed as I was at Sunday's performance? Yeah, the Vikings ended up losing a game they should have won to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 20-17. to But not all hope is lost because the Vikings played relatively well. And it's not something you want to hear with the loss, but it makes you feel a little bit better going into Thursday night's game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And they allowed Mac Jones to throw pretty well against them on Sunday. What does that mean? Where are the injuries at for both teams? And how can the Vikings pick up the pieces and begin that climb? Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Hosted by Tyler Fornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire. Writer for the College Football Network. Publisher of Substack Run In Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. Welcome. And this Welcome. As Dave needs to get his production hat on when all, apparently all he has is his drinking hat. And I don't blame him. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Odie on the floor, Eclair in my lap, and producer Dave, who will eventually be in the top right corner once he gets his stuff figured out. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. Absolutely fantastic. There we go. Had it in the wrong order. I was too used to having Judd on last week. Oh, I've been doing great. Stewing this morning over the loss yesterday and trying to figure it out and make sense of it like everybody else. So I'm curious. Now, last night on the post-game show, we were all, or at least I was a little bit frustrated. I would suspect most people are. Now that 24 hours have gone by and you've got a chance to look at grades and films and all that wonderful stuff, did it change your opinion of the game yesterday? A little bit. Um, not really. I thought the Vikings played relatively well. And especially on defense, 90 yards in the first half, 242 overall. The the offense basically in special teams gave the Buccaneers seven points. So I only accredit the defense for allowing 13 because you had the field goal where there was the offsides by Jay Ward, where Josh Metellus was more offsides. So you can really blame it on either guy. And that equated to four points. The strip stack, which I just wrote a piece about on vikingswire.com. I recommend you check it out. It's got a full breakdown of what happened and why I'm really not blaming any of the Vikings. And I'm just giving credit to Todd Bowles because of how the blitz was designed and to make things easier uh, for his defense to get to Kirk Cousins. And you can check that out. But that gave the Buccaneers a field goal. So in essence, seven points was gifted to the Buccaneers by units other than the defense. So I take a look at that and you know what? That's a great sign moving forward. The fact that the defense played really well and look, there are going to be struggles. There are going to be adjustment periods and we didn't expect that to come from the offense. We expected that to come from the defense. Now the, I thought the defense played well. There were some hiccups and one of them surprisingly, Dave was Harrison Smith. And people are going to blame Mikai Blackman for that late coverage. But the thing is, Harrison Smith is that what's called the cloud defender. So um, Mikai Blackman's playing off coverage and deep like he should. 
And does he have a little too much depth? Yeah, probably. He probably could be a, a yard or two more shallow, but if Godwin turns that upfield, then he could get toast, and that's what you're not supposed to do. And the the cloud defender, so it's the shallow guy. So in cover three, you've got one, two, three. You've got three guys across the board. They each have a third of the field. And the cloud defender is going to be underneath, and they're supposed to be able to clog the passing lanes. And they're they're like about five to seven yards in depth. So an out route, they should be able to crash it and be able to hopefully make a play. Well, Harrison Smith was not very fast and he was a little slow in getting there. So it, it's hard to really blame Blackman for that, but you need to have a little bit more cohesion on that final play, especially because you know that Baker Mayfield who basically ran quick game for the majority of it. They're going to run timing stuff and they did a great job of that in the second half. Well, when you run timing stuff, you can't play too far off. You have to be able to play a little closer to the actual receiver. And I think that that's something that could have been executed better, could have been called better. But that was really the only major issue I had. Like the defense overall played pretty well. They got pressure on the quarterback. They didn't finish, which was a uh, something that we had last year. But getting in the pressure, getting in the quarterback's face, creating pressure is key to impacting him. And Baker Mayfield struggled in the first 25 minutes. Now he did redeem himself and get a touchdown in the two minute drill. Two minute drill is a little bit of a unique enigma. It's not a traditional offense like you would see in the middle of the second quarter because you have to call things quick. You keep the same personnel and then you're calling sometimes multiple plays at once and you're doing things on the fly. It's when things don't have an opportunity to really get truly set up and comfortable that's when things can happen and they were able to make things happen. So all the credit in the world goes to the Buccaneers for their performance there in this, at the end of the second quarter. But when I look at things, I feel pretty good about a lot. And one thing I'm going to start off with Dave, and I, I will say welcome to everybody here in the chat. Um, I recommend if you haven't uh, click that like and subscribe buttons and uh, comment, let us know what you think of the game. Help us continue to grow this channel. Those are the easiest and best ways to do it. Um, I want to start with that Ingram. He's getting a lot of crap. PFF grades weren't good. They were fine. They weren't good. Um, and he was tagged with four pressures. I'm going to be honest. I thought his play was pretty decent. And I would even classify it at times as pretty good. His pressures that he got beat were Vita Vea. One where uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's it's like a rotational defensive lineman for the pan or for the Buccaneers, and he likes to punch. He's like a like a, a heavyweight boxer. He likes to knock you out and just completely get you off access with that punch. But if you survive it, you can really get beat. And he did, and he got a nice little um, push pull concept where you kind of push the offensive lineman and then pull them down. And then that makes your path to the quarterback pretty easy. Ingram got beat. And the, the other one that I, I truly noticed that was on him was Kalijah Kansi. Um, he did get beat with a stunt, and that's been a problem for the Vikings for, it feels like, 40 years uh, where they just can't <laughs> pick up stunts. But Kalijah Kansi has an elite first step. He was a, a 19th overall pick, and we spent a decent amount of time talking about him on the show. But you're going to lose. And... The one that he's really getting blamed for is that blitz. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it here. Please go check out the article. I wrote almost 500 words about explaining why that blitz worked, what they were trying to accomplish with it. And 
I think that kind of uh, explains for itself. But Dave, when you watched him, what did you think of Ener- Ingram's performance? I didn't. <clears throat> I didn't think it was horrible. I, just, I get a little frustrated with. All right, there was the strip fumble. I don't think that's his fault. I thought that was a fluke. Linemen are taught to if he you're playing right guard, you're swinging your left elbow. Is how I was taught, and it whips your body around, helps open your hips so you can go down the line. I mm-hmm. thought they were lined up a little close, tight. That makes it tougher. It used to be that uh, you'd see, you've heard of a normal lineup for a lineman, which has them about eh, shoulder width apart from each other, yard-ish. You have a wide set, which hopefully strings out the defense with it, that the defenders will go out wide with the lineman, where you're going out a yard and a half away from each other. And then you have a close set where you're about a half a yard, a foot to a half a yard. To me, it looked like they were that in that close set. And when he has to whip around real quick to open his hips to go down the line, they're taught, linemen are taught to whip that arm around because it's like on a tackle when you do the kick step back, you, you're more efficient getting the motion that way than stepping back and then going. And, and that is just a fluke. If you do that a thousand times, that's not going to happen. It happened this one time. So it was not intentional. I think it was just one of those flukes that you're not going to see again. Now, that was obviously the big one and frustrating. There were times when you talk about the blitz, when they had the seven on six blockers, he went in and he did his blocking assignment correctly and he shoved his guy inward to Schlotman at the time, made contact, right? He was looking to get ready for the guy that was stunting around the back. However, O'Neill was engaged with his guy and starting to ride him out, and the safety came from behind the vision of Kirk Cousins and um, O'Neill and his guy were in between where the safety came in and looped in. And the rules for blocking is always you take the inside out. You take out the shortest route to the quarterback. And if there's a A or B, do I take this guy or that guy? If they're both equal, you take the bigger one, the one that's going to hurt the quarterback the most. Ed Ingram actually played that that correctly. Now, could he have picked up the stunt that was coming around better? Yes, Hmm. but he would have never gotten the blitzing safety. And it was the safety that hit. Kirk Cousins. So now run blocking. I didn't like the run blocks as much across the board. I did not like it. Um, when I when I, what I want to see from my offensive linemen, whether they're running zone or running power, is I want to see them move the defender off the ball or off the line of scrimmage. You want to see the line fire out. Now, but a zone run where everybody's going left or right, it's not that because they're running down the line of scrimmage. But once mm-hmm. they engage, you want to see them push them two, three yards down the way. I didn't see that yesterday. Now, however, 
when I was looking at the next-gen stats, when we looked at our running, how very little it was, Alexander Madison had most of his yards over Ed Ingram. He had 40, 41, or four of his snaps, I think, but he had most of the yards over Ingram's side. And it was like, hmm, okay. But I want to see, I want to see more power. You can watch one way to watch a football game is to watch the lines, offense, defense. Who's getting the push? Who's going forward? Who's going back? Who's winning that line of scrimmage? If the offensive line is pushing the defense back, the offense is playing well and should win the game. If the defense is pushing the offensive guys back, we're in trouble. And yesterday, I didn't see the power, the moving that I wanted to see. Yeah, there were some elements of that. I didn't see everything I wanted to see either. But I wanted to at least uh, mention Ingram because I, I I really just thought he was getting too much grief. And look, sometimes it, it. yeah, some like I, I I get that, but grief is earned. It it has nothing to do with how much money you make. Um, and when I take a look at this offensive line. Like Ingram wasn't really an issue. No specific guy was truly an issue. Like you, if there wasn't one player that stood out and be like, this guy was just bad. They all had their moments. Even Christian Darisal allowed three pressures. Like he had his moments too, but he was playing on a bum wheel, that ankle. Uh, Brian O'Neill had a spectacular game. All questions about coming back from that partially torn Achilles. I think we put those to rest, Dave. That that was a really impressive uh, he, he, performance. Yes, he was and, that cool. was. and one thing I was looking for, and he looked fantastic. So that's that's awesome. The modern medicine today, what they can do with orthopedic stuff to fix people over the decades, you know, has come so far and is so good to see. T Bass thinks uh, we're going to get destroyed against Philadelphia because their line is pretty much built the same way. Their defensive line. Yeah, we're we're not going to talk much about that here tonight. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that on Wednesday. Um, but look, it, the defensive line is they don't have a Vita Vea. They kind of do, but he doesn't play like that. Jordan Davis. Um, I don't know where Davis is at currently in his development, but he did not perform nearly as well initially last year as we thought he would. So we'll kind of see Jalen Carter look great in his debut, but there's there's a lot of strength there and they Philly historically really tries to beef up the interior of that defensive line. So we'll find out. Um, Davey brings up the tight end screens. So here's the thing with screens and something I was talking about with Luke Brown earlier today. And I was a little confused. Like they kept reading them. So why were they calling them? And the theory is this, if you see something on film or from the press box and that's, and that's kind of how you do some communication while um, your defense is on the field to try and figure out, okay, what are we seeing and how can we exploit it? They're seeing these linebackers flow a certain way in certain formations. So what they do is they'll try and get a tight end screen on the other side. So if all your linebackers are flowing right, then you do a tight end screen on the left. And theoretically you have a guy leading and you should be able to get X amount of yards. And it's a pretty easy low risk throw. And that's ideally what offenses want to do. 
they want to get as many yards and points with as little risk as possible. And that's why you see a lot of teams like to run the football more than passing it, even though passing is theoretically more efficient, even though you have more risk. So if you're able to get a tight end screen where you know that the linebackers are going to be flowing a certain way, that can help you maximize emit, uh, the output with all minimizing the risk. Problem was you're facing two of the best linebackers in football um, in Devin White and Levante David, who are great at identifying those things. And they, they didn't get the flow that they wanted and it didn't work. Tight end screens can really work and they can gouge you for 15, 20 yards. So I, I understand the frustration, but there's so many more intricacies to play calling. And I will say, this is something that, that Kevin O'Connell and the staff will learn from and try not to do moving forward and understand, Hey, this is what we did. This is what happened. And this is how we're going to fix it moving forward. So I don't necessarily think it's the biggest deal in the world, but we'll end up seeing because it's, it's like, it's a screen and you want it to be this, that, or the other thing, but they're doing it because they're seeing something on film. Well, plus we also saw that the Buccaneers were blitzing a lot. The only other team that blitzed more than the Buccaneers yesterday was the Vikings, but the Buccaneers were right behind. And traditionally the way you defeat a blitz is a screen, right? You suck everybody in and then dump over the top screen right behind it. Right. And that was the purpose. That's what they were trying to do. Or you do a quick pass, right? You're not Mm -hmm. doing the, all right, I'm going to do a five or seven step drop and wait five seconds for JJ to get 40 yards down the field. No, you're not doing that. You're going, you're, it's a quick one, two, three, bang, almost to a hot route style of uh, play. And both of those can defeat the blitz and slow the blitz down because people don't, if you keep blitzing and keep getting burned on the blitz, you're going to stop blitzing. Yeah. And that was, I think, what they were thinking, or that's what I thought they were thinking yesterday when they played so many. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Mm-hmm. and uh, But that's traditionally the way to beat the blitz is via screen and via a quick pass. Yeah, absolutely. I have... Odie, you found a coat ha- hanger, so he's chewing on it. <laughs> have you got him chewy bones or something to yeah but they're, they're downstairs and half the time he doesn't even touch them when when we're in the office this is what i mean it, it's i love my dogs and i would never trade them for anything but i would trade them for peace and quiet for just an hour when we do <laughs> if you could turn on a switch and go hey i'm on the air <sighs> nap time oh, look they're wonderful and everybody knows how much i love these guys but dang it's annoying all right Let's kind of move forward and let's talk about Kirk Cousins. And I'm going to do a film piece, my third one of the day uh, after the show, talking about his interception. And I want I want to have that conversation. Now, he threw it a little bit behind KJ Osborne and it ended up being taken out of Osborne's hands and intercepted. That kind of stuff happens. Here's why I'm placing a lot of the blame on Kirk Cousins. It's not that he made the decision and it's not that he threw the pass. It's that he took it and he hesitated. So he, he double clutched. 
you if you're going to make the decision, make the decision and be confident with it. If you're not going to and you're not sure, don't make the decision. It's good to be aggressive and try to get a touchdown, but you can't hesitate in that kind of condensed space because bad things will happen. There's a lot less space for defenders to cover, making it easier for them to stay in their zones, making it easier for them to stay on their man. And it got him burned. And uh, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but apparently Cousins said he was throwing it a little bit behind to prevent KJ Osborne from just running into a major hit. <sighs> Look, dude. Yeah, which, which may be the case. It, he, but you can't throw it that far behind. Like, well, if you throw, I mean, it hit him. It was like this. I mean, he stopped and adjusted, and it came and hit his gut. Yeah, you can still throw that and throw it a little further out, and it still makes him stop, and he doesn't get that big hit. But to me, that, that screams excuse. You double-clutched, and you weren't confident in the throw, and then by the time you made the throw... It was a bad one, and it caused a turnover. Now, is Osborne at fault? Yeah, sure, because the ball hit him in the hands, and when it hits you in the hands, you need to catch it. But if Kirk doesn't double-clutch it, and he just throws it confidently, that's a score, and we're not even talking about it. It's just a good, aggressive throw. But that's part of the issue. It's that brain where he's not always aggressive, and he likes to play conservative, smart football. It's getting in the way of some of these plays, and we saw it manifest again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I had a discussion with Dave from Minnesota Sports Network today uh, just about that play. And everybody saw on Twitter and across social media where the ball is coming in and KJ's got it, you know, right here before it takes off. And they're seeing that last bit of seconds, how the ball comes in, it's catchable. It was nice throwing. They're going, this isn't Kirk's fault. I didn't see till later this afternoon a full clip from behind, all 22 film, from behind the quarterback, and you can see Kirk go, dink, dink, and then throw. And that second pump gives half a second for that defender to get that next half a step or step closer to defending the ball, which he did. He got in position, grabbed the ball, and it's an interception. That is... If it was an instant, I see him. I know where I want to throw the ball because he's going to get, he's in traffic. And it's an instant, bam. The defender is still a yard out by the time the ball gets there. Thus, not an interception. KJ catches it, backs into the end zone, seven points. But it's, it, it is what it is. That's, that's what I saw, right? On the replay. Didn't see it at the time. Right at the time, I saw what everybody else did. We thought, what the heck? But now there's been a bunch of questions. In the KOC offense, and I'm curious about this, what's the sequence of reads? Is it for Kirk? Is it deep first coming back? Or is it shallow going deep? Do we know? It's, it all depends on the route itself. Um, different routes will have different reads. Uh, the one, the strip sack, uh, the reads were left to right. So uh, you had Hawkinson on the inside slot on the left running a corner route. He's the second read. And you have Addison running what's called a return route, also called a whip route. So he like does a little hitch and then he just cuts over to the flat towards us. The hot route is KJ Osborne, who's also the third read on a crosser. And when the crosser comes across, 
he gets leveled by Levante David. And so it's in that five yard window. So it's perfectly mm-hmm. legal. And that eliminates the hot route. So Cousins sees the corner come open. And you can see one of the reasons why he fumbled and he didn't hold on to it. He's cocking back. And because he starts to cock back, he puts the ball in a vulnerable spot because he's trying to make a play. If just a split second longer, and that could go for potentially a touchdown because of what it what it looked like and how the defenders were crashing down instead of trying to stay over the top. So it's a frustrating one, but that question is really tough, Dave, because it's all based on situation. It's all based on the route concept. And there really is no consistency with high to low. There's no set rule. Okay. It's all play with a a set rule depending on the offense. So it's good to know. Um, Dalton says they have primary design for specific players. I just find it interesting because it looked, it almost looked yesterday. The offense looked just a tad bit off on their timing. And whether that's just me, it didn't look as smooth and as it was at times last year. And then to me, it looked like some of the defaults kicked back in. And I was wondering if Kirk was coming off his primary reads too quickly and not sticking with them like KOC was trying to teach him to do last year. But I don't know if that's the case or not. It's just It just didn't seem like, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, they were smooth and moved with a purpose. Now, we had a couple good drives. We had one in the third quarter or in the second half but it was one out of three and that was a problem. Why couldn't they get going? And I like the idea of why didn't they have Madison in the screen game more? Cause that he's good at that. Why not? Uh, well, here's part of the problem with the screen game is if you have a plan for him to do some of those release routes, those get canceled out. If you, there's a blitz and against a heavy blitz team, that's the best part of the equation. So it's 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 a complicated answer that I don't have. I'm not privy to all the information. Obviously, I'm not actually a member of the team or the coaching staff. But it's something to be aware of because if there are times where he's supposed to be the outlet, can't be an outlet if you're protecting for the blitz. Mm-hmm. Like frustrating. But let's uh let's get to the defense here. I thought, I thought the they played well. They held them to 20 points. Yeah, they did. Um, they started off hot. And just like we started off hot when we started this YouTube channel, make, make sure you click like and subscribe and give us a comment and help us with that algorithm. Hey! Yep. Share with your friends. Yes, share with your friends and especially your Eagles friends when we talk about them extensively with Devin Jackson of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Devin makes his return to the show on Wednesday night. I have that confirmed. And we are going to have some fun talking about the Eagles as I make sure Eclair doesn't bite anything to kill her, not kill her, but um, there are electrical cables everywhere. So um, <laughs> just making sure she's okay. And she farted. Oh boy. Her fart's stinky. Um, okay. So Daniel Hunter got a sack and a pressure on the first drive and he looked really good. They weren't able to get home again and get a sack on Baker Mayfield, but they were consistent about getting pressure. And I'm going to pull up the pressure numbers here. That's um, just voice. Vikings. Um, they had 10 pressures. 
The leader was Daniil Hunter with three. And overall, like you want more, but it's first game, new defense, and they were doing a lot of quick game stuff. And what does that mean? Pass routes and run and run game stuff that's designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. You see the Vikings do this a lot too, especially when there's a lot of pressure. Kirk Cousins will just do a three-step drop back. Fire. It's designed to just get it out quickly and put a lot less pressure on the offensive line. The offensive line for the Bucks, a little shaky. Uh, obviously, you have Tristan Wirfs on the left side, but it's kind of mishmash outside of that. They have some uh, mid-round draft picks. Cody Mock, second-round pick, started for them. Robert Hainsey, third-round pick, started for them. Luke Gedeke, second-round pick, started for them. All these were in the last couple of years. Now, Mock was this year. So it, there's, they're trying to adjust. They were hoping to have Ryan Jensen back. He's out for the year. With a knee injury, he suffered at the beginning of last year, and he waited on surgery and then played on it in the playoffs, and that may have ruined his career, unfortunately. it's It just kind of is what it is. Um, it was a decision. I don't know if he made it specifically or if the team made it or if it was a combo effort. Whoever made the decision, it could have cost him his career. So you want to see a little bit more. Not having Marcus Davenport, who injured his ankle in practice on Thursday, made an impact. Like, look, this show is not a fan of DJ Wanham. Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> DJ Wanham, not a good football player, zero pressures and a pass rush grade of 51.0 on 29 pass rush reps. I don't like DJ Wanham. I don't think he's very good. I just think he's a jag. And especially in this style of defense, he's not the type of guy that you want. You want him with his hand in the dirt in a four, three, that is where he's at his best. And I think that's where Hunter's at his best too. But because of how Brian Flores is going to be utilizing him, moving him around, putting him in advantageous spots all across the line, that's going to manifest itself in a more positive light. So I take a look at that as an objectively good thing. So overall, I thought the defense played pretty well. Um, the pass rush, uh, Patrick Jones did not grade out uh, well via PFF at all. But I saw some explosiveness from him. I saw him get some pressure. I saw him uh, shoot the gap and utilize his power and get involved in the run game. I, I thought all those were objectively good. So I was surprised when I saw PFF grade him so poorly, but PFF is uh, the way I view them and how their grading works. Like the people like Eric, a friend of the show, Eric eager and like Sam Munson, Steve Palazzolo, they're influential on how like the, the equations and algorithms work for like different metrics. They are not sitting there and charting all of these games. They have people to come in and do that. And I'll be honest, the people are not consistent week to week. They're just not. And you can see that in some of the data where it's like, okay, this guy played way better. The, uh, the Browns had the most perfectly covered plays uh, against the Bengals and they were phenomenal. They didn't even allow Joe Burrow to throw for a hundred yards. None of their cornerbacks hit that average mark of 60.0. How does that make any sense? <laughs> it, 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 you know what I mean? And that's where like the core concepts of pro football focus and kind of how they want to elevate the game with analytics are fantastic. Love it. The execution with the people who are charting these plays it's not consistent and you see a lot of flaws with it. And that to me is the biggest frustration, Dave. It has nothing to do with the overall concepts, but it has to do with just some of the execution. Like 
Um, Eager, yeah, he's with Sumer Sports now um, mm-hmm. and analytics startup. And Eager's still doing great work. Eager yep. is one of the nicest guys and one of the smartest guys. He also is a former college football player. So uh, I take it's not just an analytics guy. It's somebody who's played the game who is also an analytics guy. There's an understanding of both worlds. And I think that's important when having some of these conversations is there can, you trust the data so much that you only want to believe in the data where if you've played, you can, you can kind of cross reference and then make a more calculated decision. That's the way I look at analytics where it's, it's good, but it's only a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's not the entire puzzle because there's some things that right now we just don't have an ability to quantify well enough as the dogs mm-hmm. bonk it because they're playing underneath me. <laughs> Norse Fias, it was Whitley. Yes. That flew over Baker and there's a reason he went high Defensive linemen are generally trained to go up block and then come down versus go down and get the tackle. So I think he was a little exuberant and jumped a little bit too high. And, and you can't go too cover. low. Yeah. Yes. Or it's a flag, you know, because quarterbacks wear skirts. So not to be gender specific, that's just a, a disparaging term for quarterbacks because they're so protected by the NFL rules. Yeah. And like the Ben Whitley play memeable. Um, you got to be able to do a little bit more with that kind of pressure. He didn't. He's a young player. You'll learn from it and you'll figure out how to, how to be better. But it, it's tough for defensive linemen because you can't go below the knee. You could, excuse me. You can only do that outside the pocket. Nor can you hit the head. Yeah, then they turn into runners at that point. They're not protected to the exact same as quarterbacks, which is completely fair. Because if you tell a defensive lineman they can't uh, tackle you below the knee wall, they're diving to grab you. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Let, let's be fair here. And that's where, uh, that's where some of that comes into play. The easiest way to do it, uh, if you're a defensive lineman, is to be taught run through the quarterback. If you're coming up and you, you know, you're coming in to block and you put one hand up to block on his throwing arm, but just and the other one to wrap, run through the quarterback. You're not going to get penalized there as long as you don't hit helmet to helmet. You're fine. And that's one way to get around the leaping and the duck, which uh, Case Keenum was famous for. Mm-hmm. And it and it keeps you up higher, so you're not hitting below the knees and getting the penalty that way. Yep. And it's what we'll we'll see more of that at like evolution because part of some of this is it takes like upwards of 20 years to fully train habits out of people because if the, you change the the rule in 2009. So you had Carson Palmer get his ACL torn in the playoffs in 2005, I believe. And then Tom Brady's the first week of 2008, both for going low. And both of them had their ACLs torn. That's when they made the move change. And like once, okay, it's like, it's bad, but okay. It's a one-time thing happens again, especially with quarterbacks, which are the reason why football is as exciting as it is. Like we can talk about flashy receivers, running backs, all that stuff. 
if you don't have a good quarterback, the football product is not nearly as good. Mm-hmm. And you can have a really good quarterback with average receivers and still have a better pro- product with a bad quarterback and great receivers. So from a it's and that's from like a visual perspective, from a fan's perspective, as my dogs are now fighting over a sock. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to my life, ladies and gentlemen. Hit that like and subscribe button for more dog content. Hey, but it's they have that in place and it hasn't quite been like 20 years because you got to coach it from youth football. You got to get that out of the game. And that's where like the head up heads up campaign. We're not even we're not even really seeing all the impacts from that because you have to have more from youth football you have to get all those guys only doing that and then you do that at the high school level and then the college level and then you'll see it even more at the pro level because there has to be a culture shift that can take 15 to 20 30 years because of how many people like need to be taught that and taught that and ingrained that from a young age so yeah i'm gonna hand it off to you for a second i'm gonna get my sock (laughs) <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about Jay Ward and his mistake and uh, four points it cost the Vikings both ways and that was whether he was up on the line if I remember correctly Jay Ward was the one that was called for being offsides if he checked yeah. with the umpire to say am I good and then stepped up one more step and got called, or if he didn't check with the umpire, and the umpire just, okay, you're going to stand there. But it did end up being. Yeah. My guess is because he's a rookie, he didn't. And from what I saw, um, Metellus was even further in. So, look, they screwed up. And then later on in special teams, they had too many guys on the field, and bada-bing, bada-boom. You had a. I thought they didn't have. I thought they thought they had too many. So scene runs off. They, they had to call had time. ten. Yeah. Yeah. Which scene? How many plays did he get? He played on uh, special teams, and I think that was it. It was only special teams. He didn't get a single snap on offense. Right, Not defense. great, Bob. Not great. Um. Yeah, you would you would have liked him to have been better as Eclair Pease on my floor. Sweet. <laughs> Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Um, sorry for all the dog talk. I'm just very frustrated with my dogs right now because they're just being a pain in my butt. Um, yeah, Max says he didn't I, look offsides to him. I I missed that. I was so I couldn't tell. End of the day, you got to clean it up. You have to clean it up. Mm-hmm. T Bass is saying, and the PI equaled it up. That's the the penalties they need to stop with those, especially mm-hmm. the stupid ones. It's just inexcusable. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think looking at how we can kind of grow, um, the Vikings need to figure out their running game, but this was a bad week to try and figure out um, the running game because they faced a team that ran the six most eight man boxes in the league and 11 of their 17 runs um, were against eight man boxes. Not great, Bob, not great at all. Uh, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. My question is 
Why is Kevin O'Connell not seeing it and telling Kirk to check out of it? Why is Kirk not seeing it and checking out of it himself? Because if you see an eight-man box, you should have a check ready to go where you shift into a pass play. That That's NFL 101. And O'Connell can talk to Kirk Cousins until there's 15 seconds left on the play clock. One of the reasons why the Rams with Jared Goff would get to the line of scrimmage so early is because Sean McVay would tell Jared Goff a bunch of stuff. And that became a big part of the discussions about Goff himself. And Hey, is he a good enough quarterback to really be this guy? Well, the Rams thought no. And they ended up moving on from him and getting what's his name? Uh, Matthew Stafford in that big trade with the lions. So I, I, I look at it and I have a lot of questions and what's really frustrating is we're not getting those kind of questions asked um, in press conferences. We're getting asked about Justin Jefferson's contract extensions for the 300th time. Look, he said he's happy. He's laid it out. We know it didn't get done. Move on. Let's find something else to ask about because there's actual football questions we could be asking. And it's frustrating. Um, Claire, come here. Now in the pregame write up that you, sent me you wanted to talk about the 2022 draft who played who's contributed and who hasn't i i think we have to like i have been on the wait and see approach on the 2022 class some people wanted to bury it be like oh quasi doesn't know what he's doing this is a bust but your first two picks are healthy and they played in the game on special teams they didn't play on defense I think we need to start being actually concerned and I'm not pushing the full blown panic button, but Ed Ingram and Caleb Evans are starters. You have um, Brian Osmo played two snaps. That was wild that he only played two snaps. We don't know the extent of the why yet. So we'll, we'll he find came out off the field. I thought he was dinged up or something, but we have not heard that he's dinged up at this point. Not um, officially. They, and they will, nothing was said today about it. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll kind of see what the heck's going on there. But I'm concerned that none of them are playing. That's a problem. It's a big problem that your top two draft picks from Quasi's first class are performing that poorly. Now, he did use Rick Spielman scouting staff for that first draft. Now he has his own guys in the room. How is that going to make things different? how are you going to change things up? Is there going to be improvement? Cause we've already seen improvement. Jordan Addison looks really good. Makai Blackman's playing well. Your first two draft picks are like Jordan Addison is borderline starter. Makai Blackman's pretty much there too. That's pretty good. Undrafted free agent, Ivan pace who was yep. outstanding. Najee Especially- Thompson makes him as a, as, as a special teams guy, mm-hmm. not even a cornerback, a special teams guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought the coverage units, but Naylor got the first hit for zero yards. Um, mm-hmm. It was, uh, there was another one. I was trying to remember who it was. Najee got close, but Najee got taken out. He was doubled. Um, but they play. I thought that part of the game played well. And we didn't have a, you know, Greg Joseph losing the game for us. None of that. So, and then, of course, I think we have the best punter in the league. He was booming them. 
but that's special teams. He was doing a, too much punting. Mm-hmm. But I, I think overall, it's a. Uh, it was fine. Um, I didn't really have too big of an issue with um, some of it. You know what? I'm just kind of talking at this point. Um, I, I did like the the Jalen Naylor play um, where he just kind of speared the guy. But you don't want Wright to be punting that much. But if you have to, and he makes it good. Mm-hmm. And of course, D. Paula, I know that's mispr- mispronounced, had the best special teams grade out of everybody. Not that people care about that. Anyways, Who's going to be back on? I know you said it once. Who's going to be on Wednesday? Um, His name is Devin Jackson with the Philadelphia Inquirer. And he's been on the show before. Um, Great guy. um, Extensive draft knowledge. And he also uh, covers the NFL and the Eagles for the Inquirer. And he's going to be able to give us a better sense of where the Eagles are at, what they're doing, X, Y, and Z, to help us better understand what the Vikings are going to be in for coming up this next week. And as yeah. Mary said, they had a hard time with the Patriots. They ended up winning, but they had a hard time. And especially with the Patriots receivers, and we have a lot better receivers than the Pats do. So Yeah, it was it was an interesting game that the the Patriots had a chance to win at the end and they just weren't quite able to pull it out mainly because Mac Jones isn't very good. I think if you're going to beat the Patriots, you got to be able to attack the intermediate levels of the field. They lost linebacker to Kobe Dean for multiple weeks. Um, James Bradbury, their cornerback, is in the concussion protocol, which probably means he's out for uh, Thursday's game, which means Darius Slay. Slay had a phenomenal game against Justin Jefferson last year. Got in his in head. Mm-hmm. Got in, it wasn't so much that he got in his head. It was Kirk Cousins just was, he was off all game. And that, it just ended up being a shutdown performance. And it was frustrating now, to watch, but now, I think hopefully Thursday will be revenge. Yeah. And JJ will light him up. Dave L, you are 100% correct. The coaches were hired prior to KOC because they were waiting on the Super Bowl to hire KOC. Donna Shell was hired before, and a lot of those coaches were working with Spielman staff, right? Under KOC for the 2022 draft. You are 100% correct. Thank you for bringing that up. GMAC, we aren't beating the Eagles. GMAC, on any given Sunday, anything can happen. Now, with the loss to Tampa Bay, we ate up that expected win, so we now have no margin for error. We've got to steal something. Out of If you're predicting 10 wins, you now have, and that was one of them, which consensus everybody thought it was, you're not going to find that win from one of the losses you had predicted. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, here's the nice part about the NFL, and it's the most annoying part, is anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Um, Last year, the Colts were an abysmal football team. Beat the Chiefs. It happens. Anything can happen. The Vikings have a good chance to win on Thursday. is it a great chance? No, but they have a chance and that's all you need. You just go in there and play your game 
And they've gone into Philly and won as underdogs before. They did it. I believe it was 2018. They beat Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Linval Joseph had that uh, interception return for a touchdown. Like, they can do it. Yep, exactly. He looked like Bane. They can do it. And I, I'm i not going to give up on this team. 0-2 would suck. It would absolutely suck. But it's not a, it's not a death nail in the coffin. Yeah, you still have games to play, and you can still win. And we're going to break it all down on Wednesday night with Devin. And that's going to be a really fun episode as we talk about what this Vikings team can be and who they're going to end up being uh, facing with the Philadelphia Eagles, who look, they're the Super Bowl runner up, but they struggled to be going to like a lot of teams did. Who are the real Eagles? We're going to find out. And that's going to be the show tonight. Mm-hmm. Monday I want to answer Thomas's question real quick. Any offensive line rumors? I saw about an hour before the show started that Doogie was asked the same question and responded. There's nothing. Yeah, um, look, unless Garrett Bradbury is going to be out for a significant period of time, we, look, they're not doing anything, and we just need to get over it. Like Ezra Cleveland is fine. Ed Ingram is fine. Garrett Bradbury is fine. We have this need to want to get a massive upgrade at different p- positions, and that is just not going to happen in the salary cap era. They're fine. They're not great but they're capable enough and we need to figure out a way to work with it. And maybe next off season we'll sign a high price guard to replace Ezra Cleveland. And then you'll have um, Ingram in year three, where he should continue to take a jump and Garrett Bradbury. Look, if they, Risner's not necessarily an upgrade Dalton Risner, that is. And I think people don't really understand that because he struggles in run blocking a lot. And he, he gets way too vertical with his pass sets. So he doesn't get use leverage and get his butt down to be able to really like drive block or anchor. Well, because if you're standing too straight up, you can get pushed back. And that's a big problem of his just the grass isn't always greener. So just remember that Um, I don't expect them to do anything unless there's a major injury. So um, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back Wednesday night. And we're going to talk about Vikings Eagles and it's going to be a good one. Uh, Make sure, like I said, multiple times in the show, like comment, subscribe, do all the things to help us out. Share with your friends, um, put uh, share it on social media and GMAC to my knowledge. It's not that he's, he's a jerk. That's kind of part of it, but he wants starter money and nobody wants to bring him in to be the starter. That's a problem. You may have to adjust that level of compensation if you want a job for this year, but you might be holding out for somebody to get hurt and then they sign him as an emergency. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We, Like I said, we'll be back Wednesday and we're going to try and uh, talk our way through this 2023 Viking season, which <laughs> it's going to be a roller coaster. Yes, it will. What do we say, buddy? Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching. 
The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production. Part of the Fans First Sports Network.